Hey, Trojan fans, welcome to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast, part of the PeristylePodcast.com series of podcasts where just started a few weeks ago where we talked to former USC football players, and so far they've happened to be USC quarterbacks, about what they thought about this USC football team. We got uh, Sean Salisbury coming up a little bit later on in the show, and we're going to start off with Shane Foley, former USC QB. What's up, Shane? How you doing? Hey, Ryan, great to be back, great to be with the program, and uh, yeah, a lot to talk about this week. Certainly, yeah. If you want, to, if you don't know more about Shane, you can go to ShaneFoley.com. It's a great place, and he does the Foley Report every week, and uh, it should be an interesting one this week. Um, check, <laughs> <laughs> you can check that Indeed out. Indeed, it will be. Yeah, you can follow him on Twitter, ShaneFoley underscore USC. Uh, check it out there, and we've been doing this for a couple weeks, and it's great to get his insights on, on what's going on with the, the USC football team, and Obviously, Shane, the last 48 hours been some, or a couple of days at least, you know, been, been some big news in the USC football program. Yeah, Ryan, I'll tell you, it's been a crazy a couple of days, and I know you know that better than anybody, but just a lot, lot happening, a lot of change, and certainly, you know, a lot for the uh, young guys on the team to be thinking about, certainly uh, having a bye week, and I think that timing probably had something to, uh, to do with it, but it'll be interesting to see and uh, see how the team responds, and, and, you know, big big transition time right now. Now we got a lot to get to. We you know, talk about the coaching change. We want to get your experience of, of you've experienced one as well. Uh, but it, let's look at the game first itself. You're kind of what the, I guess sure. was the catalyst of what's going on there. And offensively, yeah. you look at this team over the past few weeks. You saw, you know, the the Boston College game it looked like the offense got things back on track. Didn't look as as good uh, in the Utah State game, and seemed the offense played a little bit better besides some of the turnovers at, at, in the desert Arizona. What did you see from the offense as it progressed over the last few weeks? Well, I thought the offense played a lot better this week. Certainly, uh, Boston College was the game that uh, that they put most of it together. Had a very efficient game in that game, fifteen to seventeen for Kessler at Boston College. Uh, fell backward quite a bit against Utah State, and uh, some of the things that took place there needed to needed to get better at. And it looked like early on, certainly Kessler looked comfortable. He looked, uh, you know, very uh, much in rhythm early in the game, and so like to see him with the start that he had. Uh, Trey Madden, that we've talked about, has just really been the surprise of this football team, and has really clearly become a leader the way he runs and breaks tackles. And and uh, certainly Justin Davis uh, being a great one-two combination between both the guys has been been great to see. So yeah, I mean, I thought that was my early indication. You know, in the first half, I thought we traded punches with Arizona State pretty well, got into the flow, and was, you know we were playing good football I think obviously on the other side of the football that you know we can get to a little bit later but that that certainly is a question that um, that came up in the game that was a big surprise I think to everybody watching it um, that that uh, kind of changed things but the turnovers clearly were I think the difference maker you had to go into a loud environment like that a hostile environment where you know a lot pending for both teams both teams were 0-1 in the conference going into the game so you had to win the turnover battle especially on the road in a loud hostile environment and that's something that that uh, did not happen, and that that clearly hurt us. Now you've you've played before, you've run offenses, you've analyzed these offenses before, and and from right. from the outside looking in, it looks like at least on the offensive line, there's some confusion plays. There's sometimes a, there's there's good play, and there's sometimes confusion plays. And even overall, when I see these guys trot out there, they don't seem to have the ability to get out on the field and, and run a play. It's it's always like you're taking a lot of the play clock up and even in situations where you know you're talking late third quarter quarter early fourth quarter where you're down yeah. a few scores they didn't seem to even have the ability 
to be able to move quickly and, and get a playoff before there's five seconds left in the in the play clock. What what why would something like that happen? I, mean, I think it's confusing for USC fans. It's confusing for me to watch. What is your assessment of how that all goes down? Well, that's a good question. Very good question. And I think what you have to be able to do is is really have an offense that's ready to go and prepared for any type of situation. And what that means is, you know, you have to be able to run a deliberate offense the way they do. And sometimes, obviously, late in the game, when you want to control the line of scrimmage and you want to run the football and, and the clock is your friend, you want to be able to go in and do that and, uh, you know, run the ball and run it aggressively and physically. Certainly in a situation where you're playing from, you know, down, when you're down and having to come back, you have to be able to have urgency. And that's that's what I don't see and what I did not see really all season, but especially, you know, in games when we've been down, there's a lack of urgency in this football team uh, that's been taking place. And so, yeah, that that means running a two-minute drill. That means, you know, getting up to the line of scrimmage. That means, as the quarterback, really being a field general, understanding what the clock you know, situation is. And so really creating more urgency from the sideline, but also as the quarterback, really getting these guys up, telling them, hey, let's go get on the ball, let's go. And certainly, you know, they're not running a two-minute type of situation or a hurry-up offense. And so, but you still have to dictate the speed and the urgency as much as possible. And as a quarterback, you should be talking to that on the sideline with the guys. You need to be talking to these guys and being a leader and letting them know that we've got to get a score right here, right now, let's go. And so I think having that communication but you know, certainly a lot of that's got to come from coaching, and and we have a change there. So that's <laughs> something that uh, you know, hope to see that uh, will be different under Coach Holton. But I think clock management, time, and understanding that, uh, and having that urgency is very, very important. Uh, yeah, I mean, that you, it's a good point. Where if you have the head coach calling the plays, sometimes they're they don't see the forest through the trees. They they're they're worried about which play is going to work. When at some point you have to worry about, well, we have to run a play quickly because of this factor or this factor. And I, I love to use, use the term deliberate, which just basically means slow. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah, know it's if a you kind way of saying slow. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't yeah. know. But, um, I'm not sure if USC fans want to see quote unquote deliberate offenses anymore. So if Clancy, you know, uh, well, let me make a point on that. I mean, there's a, one of the reasons why Kiffin's not here anymore is because, you know, you take a look at the, the, the statistic, you know, when we've been losing at halftime, uh, you know, during the Kiffin era, now counting this game, we're, we, you know, we're 0 and 9 uh, to football teams uh, when we've been down at halftime. And so that tells you something. I mean, certainly Pete Carroll made a living uh, at USC being a third quarter, uh, making adjustments and being a third and fourth quarter football team. And how many times, you know, even looking back to Matt Leinert's uh, first game, really where he became the guy at USC, you know, down 21-3, coming back and winning that football game. So, that's something clearly that was a problem under the Kiffin uh, uh, era that was a problem and, and uh, continued last night, uh, I mean, on a Saturday night in the game. Uh, well, let's look at the defensive side of the ball. Um, I guess if you talk to any USC fan through the first four games, you would say Clancy Pendergast for president. They're all, like, putting him up <laughs> on a pedestal. And yep. kind of out of the blue, I mean, USC gives up 62 points. Yet there was one pick six that, you know, wasn't – the, the defense's fault, but it's the most points USC's ever given up in the long history of the, of the football program, tying with yeah. Oregon's, you know, last year. What did you think right. about what happened with the defense and how they fell apart? I'm, it's perplexing, Ryan. I mean, I take a look at it, and certainly, as you said, I mean, Pendergast for president, a lot of people were, were really high on the defense, the changes, and, and hard not to. I mean, I heard Ronnie Lott talking about it 
uh, on the radio uh, on Friday. And so there's a lot of people that have been very impressed, and, and I, I'm in that camp as well. So to kind of see what happened, I think that uh, really the game got away from them. Taylor Kelly for Arizona State played a, a heck of a ball game, put the ball, placed the ball, uh, very tough places uh, for our defensive backs that were most of the most of the time in position on some of those sideline passes where you know he was thrown to the back number and those are very very tough passes to defend not only that I mean he did a great job of play action and he also did a great job running the ball getting out on the perimeter and I really didn't know that he had that that type of ability and just uh, run the ball and put that type of a uh, pressure on the defense certainly I think the lack of pressure that we got on the quarterback uh, affected the, that outcome we had no sacks uh, only a couple of tackles for loss. <clears throat> those are those are issues, and and certainly I think the best pass defense is a great pass rush. I mean that's been documented time and time again. So I think all of that is something that uh, you know have to take into consideration. Also the you know the uh, the turnover battle that we lost was very indicative. But clearly I think looking at this thing and going back and taking a look at the tape. Um, and I think the problem that I saw that's the biggest problem is you had a lot of missed assignments and a lot of blown coverages and we're five games, you know, uh, five games into the season now, that was the fifth game, you know, to have defensive backs, uh, not running with receivers, not running with the tight end and, uh, basically just letting guys go. Those are blown coverages and to have that happen repeatedly, you know, that led to big scores. Uh, those are game changers, and certainly you know that Coach Pendergast is a big proponent of putting pressure on a, on an offense. You know, bringing stunts, bringing blitzes, you know, bringing different looks, and that that will at times leave um, your defense in one-on-one situations and, and with great receivers in the conference and around the country, you're going to get burned at times. But that wasn't the case. I mean, in this situation, these were you know a number of situations where there were just blown coverages. Uh, without anybody in the area at all, that led to big, big, you know, big touchdowns and game-changing plays. Now the blown coverages is, is interesting, and, and to me, I I look at this as a trend. If you look at there, there was four games that USC played really well on defense, and and one where USC played poorly ended up being extremely poorly. But I understand that it's more of a risk-reward kind of thing, and he plays more of an attacking style, which I like. And I, I think you're putting these college right. players in a position to make a play, but it looked like Arizona state had scouted that and knew exactly where to hit. knew, knew what the risks USC, USC was taking and was able to counter those extremely well. For some reason, the middle of the field appeared to be open. Uh, obviously the, the zone read uh, running with, with Taylor Kelly seemed to work pretty well. It seemed like they scouted well and knew what to, how to exploit the weaknesses of this Pendergast defense. Yeah, I think that's pretty astute. I mean, but it starts up front, and you take a look at the disruption that we were able to create with Chucky Keaton uh, in the games past. Our defense, uh, defensive line and front seven played on their side of the line of scrimmage, and that's what you have to do against any spread team. I don't care if it's Arizona State, Oregon. You have to win up front, and you have to put pressure on a quarterback. Even if they're lined up in a shotgun situation, you have to be able to disrupt the rhythm, the momentum, and their ability to, you know, to sit back and to, to you know, pick apart a defense. Um, the issue, though, that you're talking about, leaving the middle open, you know, again, there were a number of times when you go back and take a look at it where two defensive players were running to one receiver. And so those are blown coverages. I mean, when you're leaving a guy open like that, if you're playing man-to-man and two guys go and play on one man and the other guy, they run a crossing <laughs> route, you know, one guy running a post and one guy running a corner or a go, uh, and one guy goes uncovered and the other two guys run with the other guy, it's going to leave a wide-open receiver. And that's a couple of times what happened. You had 
you know, you had guys doubling a guy and letting a guy go completely. So it wasn't just the middle of the field. You know, in a sense, if they were playing man-to-man and running with a guy, yeah, if we get beat over the top and it's, you know, one yard or two yards and they beat us over the top and they make a great throw, that's one thing. But to be actually out of alignment and running with the wrong guy uh, or basically if they're running a zone, uh, you know, and not in the zone or they, you know, come down to play the flat and a guy's running deep in the middle of the field, that's a problem. And so that schematically, uh, to me, five games in the season is the biggest problem that I have. Yes, Arizona State did a good job. Yes, Taylor Kelly played a great game. Yes, he did make some great throws and he did put a lot of pressure on the defense with the read option. But again, you have to take a look at it, Ryan. You've got to play up front. The front seven has to put pressure on the offense. They have to play on their side of the line of scrimmage and dictate the game. And if you're manning, you know, playing man, you've got to run with guys. You've got to stay on them. If a quarterback and a receiver make a great throw, that's one thing. But to be, you know, in the wrong area of the field because you're guarding, uh, you know, a guy that somebody else is guarding too, that's a problem. Uh, great points. Who do a quarterback knew this much about defense? I like that. All right. Uh, well, I guess you have to, to go against them, so you have to try to figure out what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you analyze a game, you analyze both sides of the football, my friend. All right. Uh, well, let's – okay, so the game, obviously not the uh, greatest result for USC fans. They didn't want to see something like that happen. But then they get on the plane. They fly, <laughs> they fly back to L.A. Yeah. We get. I got an email. I think it was 4.30 in the morning that I, I got right. the email. I wasn't up. But I got a bunch of phone calls by like 5 a.m. So then I was yep. I was up and it was a really long day. Uh, how did you think Pat Hayden handled the whole situation and and you know just the timing and everything of how he handled it and getting rid of Lane Kiffin? Well, I don't think there's any easy way to do something like that, Ryan. I mean, clearly you've got a you know a coach that had. Um, a lot of people felt like he should have been gone after last season and uh, seven and six and, you know, the wheels coming off losing five of the last six. And there was a lot of people that put a lot of pressure on that happening. Then you heard Pat Hayden talk about, you know, that as he, uh, that he and, and the administration graded on a curve and even grading on the curve that, that in his, his estimation that he failed and that it was time to, to make a change. And this guy was telling him to make that change. Um, I think with that being said, it's not an easy decision to make certainly uh, mid season, you know, with the team and with recruiting in the balance, uh, you know, I think that's something that that's not an easy uh, thing to do. And I think I applaud him for it. I mean, I think it was a tough stance. Uh, you know, if you're asking me specifically about how it was handled, you know, at LAX and, and having it happen at that time, you know, again, I don't know that there's a good time. I know that some of these coaches are going to be off with the uh, bye week, you know, going out and recruiting, and people are going to be going going different places. And so I think, you know, I don't I don't question that. I he took a little bit of flack in the media from how it was handled, but I, I don't think so. I think, you know, he made the decision. He made it quickly. I think it's fair to, you know, Coach Kiffin uh, and to the team to do it, you know, as soon as you decide and to, to make it happen. So he made a swift decision. Uh, he got it done. And, you know, obviously uh, they had the press conference that you were at and, and covered it the next day. And so I think Pat's handled it with uh, with a lot of class and has done the best job he could given the circumstances. I think you have a good point there. If you know you want to make a change, there's really no point in waiting to make the change. And, it's, you know, he, he yeah. saw the opportunity and did it. I agree. I mean, I think that's, you know, again, I think once he made that decision, he had people on board. He knew what he needed to do. You know, again, I don't know what the circumstances were with the, you know some of the coaches going out to recruit, but I think that's something that you, you know, you don't need to wait on. And, and uh, you know, I don't know 
who's there to be able to judge that. The, the point is, is the change was made. The change was needed. Uh, Pat Heaton made that decision. It was a bold choice uh, at a time during the season like it was. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with it completely, and I think it's the best move uh, for, the, for the team to go in a different direction. Now, it is a midseason thing still in September, and uh, you don't usually see a, a big program like USC moving on with a coach, uh, Ed Ordron, and every, all the details I've found on this. I think he's the first ever interim head coach at USC. That's right. Yeah, what, what do you think about Ed being uh, named interim head coach? Well, I, I thought it makes the most sense given the circumstances. I think Ed is a guy that's been around the program, I believe, for uh, 11 years or so. You know, he understands the culture. He understands what it means to be a Trojan. Uh, brings energy, brings a lot of heart. I think really for all intents and purposes, he, he was the heart and soul of that coaching staff. Has the recruiting aspect of it uh, down very well. So I think it makes the most sense. He's got head coaching experience uh, at Ole Miss. Granted, you know, it's 10 and 25, but I don't think that's really the issue. I think, you know, I think the bigger point is a guy that understands USC, a guy that's going to bring inspiration, motivation, guy that's going to be a leader and also have some fun along the way. You heard him say that, that he wants to bring some fun back to it. Uh, I think it's absolutely the right choice. Uh, clearly, to your point, you know, end of September, still being in September and making that change, uh, you knew it had to be pretty bad. And, and uh, you know, you were at the Coliseum at Washington State and the fire kicking chance and, you know, losing the Coliseum and, and losing L.A., I think, really, I think, dictated that a change needed to be made for the current players as well as for uh, for the recruits, uh, yeah, they I've people ask about me about that a lot. Um, did that make a big difference? You think the the atmosphere in the Coliseum? I think I was a little shocked. I knew Boston College; it wasn't going to be all that great, but I thought for Utah State that more fans would come out, and I think less fans, even less fans, came out after the the thirty five to seven win over Boston College, I thought Lane Kiffin might win some of them back, but he didn't. Do you think that was a big factor in this whole thing? Well, I think it factored in. I don't know how 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 much of a you know it certainly was a factor. I think just all of it, Ryan, is what what factored in. I mean, when you take a look at morale and you take a look at the Coliseum, you take a look at the energy and and you know one game, first home game, um, two games into the season, the first home game. For it to get as dark as it did in the, at the Coliseum that night, uh, you know, again, I told you, I, I played for Ted Tolner my freshman year. He was fired um, after that, after the Notre Dame game, actually. And, um, you know, and, and, and but I've never heard a fire of the coach chant. I mean, I, you know, Hackett Arrow got pretty, pretty bad. I mean, there's some pretty, <laughs> some pretty <laughs> tough times in the last 20 years, but I've never heard it get that bad. And so when you hear that kind of chant going on, which seemed like to me for about a minute and a half before Dr. Barner uh, and the band got going again, uh, you got recruits up there, you got uh, players on the field, and that that's something when it gets that bad um, that certainly affects morale. Uh, players can you know, talk about that, you know, they're not listening to uh, the fans, but they, they cannot be immune to it. And um, I think that, yeah, the, cl- the crowd size that you're talking about, Boston College and uh, and Utah State were both listed in the low 60s, 62 and 63. But, I you know, I, I wrote about in the Fuller Report, I think it was closer to, you know, maybe 10,000 less than that. So I think that that all factored into it, and I think it just was part of the overall picture that uh, Pat had that he had to make, uh, you know, the decision when he did. Now, going forward, this team, there's eight games left, and uh, Ed Orgeron, I thought, said all the right things about he wants to make it an exciting team. He wants the guys to have fun. Um, he said Cody Kessler is still the starting quarterback. You know, he's opened up practices. I think he started off on the right foot from the 
you know, from the perspective of just seeing what he wants to do there. You've now for the players to go through this. You've done this, like you went through the the Tolner Smith uh, coaching change. What's going through these players' heads where they're going from one coach to another, and then knowing that they're probably going to have another coach when next year starts? Well, I never went through uh, doing it mid-season, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that is the difference, and uh, I mean that, and that's a pretty big difference, I have to say. You know, I mean, obviously, it was recruited by uh, recruited by Ted Tolner was also recruited heavily by Larry Smith, came to USC, and then Coach Smith uh, ended up coming over right right, uh, you know, at the end of that season. Coach Tolner actually uh, was a, a lame duck coach uh, when we went down to play Auburn in the Citrus Bowl. He had already been fired after the Notre Dame game. So it wasn't that different, I guess. You know, as a freshman, I redshirted Rodney Pete was playing. And uh, Larry Smith came in, and, and so it was pretty, I guess it was pretty, uh, you know, my memory of it isn't that, it was that big of a thing. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, chose USC for USC. I mean, I liked Ted Tolner, I respected him, uh, liked him a lot, but, but I came to USC and was a Trojan. And that was, you know, how I thought about it. I think the majority of the players who are at USC feel the same way. They love the university, they, they love the tradition, they love what USC is. And so I think they're going to be there. And I think that, uh, you know, clearly from what I heard, the response was positive, you know, that, that, that a change was made. You've got Pat Hayden at the top who's, you know, who's going to be a great leader and, and uh, really help navigate the course. And they are going to have a different coach. But, you know, I think that's what Coach Orgeron, you know, his – task and his charge is to get these guys, you know, as you said, kind of kind of get their arms around these guys a little bit more, bring them in closer, bring them in tighter, you know, have uh, really some fun and, uh, you know, opening up practices like you're talking about. I think he's taken the right steps. You know, he's been around and uh, he was part of Pete Carroll's uh, you know, staff and been a, been a great recruiter, you know, and a great coach for a long time. So I think he's going to do the right things. I think he is the right guy, you know, on an interim basis to uh, kind of lead us out of this dark time and, and uh, looking forward to, you know, seeing what the next eight games brings us. Now, one last thing before I let you go, the, uh, on the recruiting front, you mentioned, he seems like the ideal guy to try to recruit. I mean, you're tr- like you mentioned, you're trying to recruit to the university, you're selling a future that you're not really don't have a lot of details on because you don't know who the coach is going to be. Do you think Ed Ed Ordron will be able to handle that? I do, you know, because I think he'll fall back again. You know, he'll go back to what USC is, you know, and I think that's what you have to do and and put your faith in, uh, you know, in USC as an institution. And and clearly, you know, uh, it's, it's, one of the top five programs in the country, 11 national championships, you know, uh, all the, the Heisman trophies, all the, you know, the, 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 you know, obviously the most number one picks of all time, all of the things that USC brings, the tradition of the great players here and the heritage. I think you have to, you know, be able to put that together. And, you know, you've got a, a nucleus of, of great young freshmen that are there right now, you know, and, and, and just not just freshmen, but younger guys, you know, Trey Madden, you know, is still an underclassman with the red shirt last year, but Justin, Davis is a true freshman, Sua Cravens, uh, McQuay. You know, you've got some guys that uh, that are going to be a good nucleus of guys that are going to be part of this program. So, 
I think that's what you have to do and, and you have to, you know, create a little bit more enthusiasm and excitement. I think the product on the field, hopefully, I think we're going to see a distinctive difference with uh, these guys having fun and, and uh, you know, kind of lifting the, uh, the weight off their backs a little bit. Um, I think that's something that I look forward to seeing, seeing the difference a week from Thursday, you know, with Arizona. So, uh, but no, I think that's going to be a big part of it. And uh, that's the charge and the task that, uh, that uh, Coach O is going to bring, and I think he's going to get it done. All right. Well, Shane, awesome stuff. Thanks again for uh, coming on the, our little armchair quarterback podcast. We just kind of started a few weeks ago, and I think it's become pretty popular, so it's great stuff, and it's always good to get your uh, thoughts on what's going on with the USC football program. Hey, always uh, great coming on, uh, Ryan. Appreciate it. And uh, no, uh, with all the changes, we'll be we'll be talking a lot. So uh, <laughs> anyway, just uh, thanks again for having me and fight on. All right. Thanks, Shane. And uh, everyone else back in 30 seconds. We're going to get former USC football quarterback, Sean Salisbury. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit circlemarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We are back here on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast, joined by former USC and NFL quarterback, Sean Salisbury, you can follow him on Twitter at Sean Unfiltered. What's going on, Sean? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you, buddy? Uh, pretty good. It's been a crazy couple of days. I'm sure you've uh, experienced that yourself. Uh, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on everything that's happened here with the USC football program. I know you, you played there, and this is the first time in history USC's ever fired a coach midseason and had an interim head coach. Yeah, and I ought to tell you how serious it was. And, you know, and in all due respect, it's never just a guy's fault. I mean, you know, you don't hear many people saying that about Lane. And, you know, they gave him the, the opportunity to prove that he belonged as a head coach and it just didn't work out. It doesn't mean his football coaching career is over. And, you know, he's had a rough go of it at a couple places and, you know, left another place. But people saw, you know, three people, three universities or two universities and a NFL team along the way held him in high regard when they hired him. But it just didn't work it out, work out at FC, you know. We all have our reasons why. Do I think the guy knows football? I do. Uh, do I like him as a person? I've known him for a long time. I've, I've, that's well documented. I just think that the leadership situation, the, the you know the uncomfortable leadership situation, almost it was almost always trying to prove a point. Um, and I think inconsistencies with the, the level of how you deal with people became a problem. And losing becomes a problem when you're winning. Nobody cares about that. When you're losing, <laughs> everybody cares. And you know, and I know the scholarships, but the truth is uh, we're still good enough to win there. They really are. I, I, mean, I understand they've been balked and we, we deserve more and with all that's gone on. You wish that the penalties were so harsh. I get all that. But it's, it's more not that they're losing. It's more the way they're losing. And I think it just when you lose a program, it's time to make a switch. I never have been an endorser of doing it during the season. But there comes a point in time when if it's not fixable, then you've you got to and got to give your players a better opportunity uh, not only to win, but a better opportunity to, to, to not want to leave the program and to feel 
more comfortable and they're getting an energetic guy and, and, and coach Orgeron who's been one of the great recruiters and he's going to, they'll have more fun. I promise you that. <laughs> How does that lead to better football? We're about to find out and maybe people will play a little bit more loose and coaches will feel like they can coach and do coach their positions, but it's, it's difficult. I think coach, you know, Pat did the right thing. He's, you know, it's, it's, this will be the most important hire of his career because big programs are defined by football coaching hires. They just are. Ohio State, Penn State, Southern Cal, Notre Dame, Texas, that's how athletic, but Pat doesn't need validation. He's been a great Trojan and a great supporter of the Trojan program and a bright, brilliant man. He'll make the right hire. He won't do it. He won't be hasty. And I admire him for giving Lane that, you know, I think a lot of us felt that after last year he would have been fired, but Pat, you know, did the right thing and felt like it was enough. And, and I admire him for having the guts to, to do it and start the search and, and get it going now. And it'll be a good, a good search for some really, really qualified people. And we got the right athletic director there to do it. And you mentioned uh, Pat Hayden had the opportunity to fire Lane after last season, losing five of the last six. And obviously the, the loss to Georgia Tech was embarrassing, only scoring seven points. I think Middle Tennessee State scored like 50 on that team. So to only score seven was yep. something. I think he had an opportunity, though, to step away as the offensive coordinator. I know he, he held that near and dear to his heart, and that's what he wanted to do. Do you think that would have made a difference if he focused on, as a young guy, being the head coach and let someone else call the plays? I've always believed, and I said this of all the years I was on ESPN, I remember saying this, when Mike Holmgren was – when Mike when Mike Holmgren – as the head football coach at Seattle and the general manager. I can remember being on Sports Center and I was said, when Mike Holmgren decides to strip himself or let go of that general manager job, they're gonna they're they're gonna win and he'll be a Super Bowl guy again. And I'm not saying I'm prophetic, but I can remember I don't like both. And they went on and went to the Super Bowl, got beat, but they went to the Super Bowl. Because a head coach, that's what you do. If you want to put a coat and tie on then step upstairs and he'll be the GM. I know Shanahan's done it in the past. That has not worked well in these recent years since Elway and Terrell Davis and that group's been gone. I don't believe you can do both. I don't believe you can be a doctor and operate on a knee and also be a lawyer later in the day. And <laughs> I know I'm comparing, you know, health and that. You, you get my point. Is it, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think that the, you should ever carry on both unless there's now Sean Payton's doing both. The Sean Payton's the best play caller in the world. There are the aberrations. There are the aberrations that can do both, and he also has a guy named Drew Brees that ain't half bad. <laughs> Sean Payton's Sean Payton's calling plays for me, and he's probably going to be under flack and say maybe you should quit calling plays, turn it over to your offensive coordinator because you're not very good. But he's done it before. He's been around some great ones. Lane's young. I always believe when you're a head coach, you you, you don't you, when you're a head coach, you're not an X's and O's guy. And Lane is an X's and O's guy. But you don't have to be an X's and O's guy. You got that job for a reason because you earned it by being a leader and an X's and O's guy. At least that's the perception. So when you become the head football coach, you are a you are a you you've got to do a lot of different things, wear a lot of different hats. Whether it's media, alumni, coaches, players, you're the general manager, you're the dad, you're the babysitter, you're the coach. You've got to do a lot of things as a head football coach. Call and play shouldn't be one of them. You earn the head coaching job by being a good play caller. If you want to be the play caller, then go be the play caller. Hire you as offensive coordinator, go hire somebody else to oversee. See, I believe the biggest problem with coaches that, that want to do both, ego gets in the way, number one. Because I would say if I'm a head coach and I love my system and the way I call plays, go hire a guy that thinks like you. That's that's why you go hire a coordinator. That's his job. If he doesn't do it, you run his butt out and you hire somebody else. <laughs> that's your job. So I believe that great leaders, great coaches, and they're supposed to be great leaders. I don't believe great leaders manage people. I believe they manage things, little tasks, X and O's, drawing stuff on the board. That's what that, that's what you do. You manage things and you lead people. 
great leaders lead people. Jimmy Johnson, when he was a Cowboys coach, let North Turner call the plays. Bill Belichick, go be with the defense. And Bill, but let your defensive coordinator and your offensive coordinator call the doggone plays. And he's neither one of those guys, but that's how you get there. You've got to, I don't believe, other than the, the occasional aberration, you better have a great quarterback with you, that a head coach should be doing both. Because what happens is you divide yourself. You spend all your time with the offense in the meetings. You spend all your time with the offense on the field. And it's as if you don't care and don't kid yourself. Players do care about that. They wonder if the coach could care less about going down to the defensive meeting room. It's just like, oh, you guys are defense. I got my off my boys. These are my guys. And then when things go bad, you know, you know what you become? And I confess he did it, guy. It's not the offense's fault. It couldn't be my fault. It's the defense. But you know why you wouldn't know? Because you're not down there with the defense overseeing what your coordinator's doing. See, and that's my point. I don't believe you can be a general manager and a head coach, sustain it for a long time, just like I don't believe you can be the head coach and a play caller. You spend your whole life calling plays and then working your way up the system. Now have the ego, put the ego aside, put it in the drawer, and hire somebody who, who has a like-minded like you and calls the same system you do so you can hire an assistant coach that wants to be a head coach too. Great assist, great head coaches hire assistants to be head coaches, not to be lifetime assistants. So, and all those things, I just don't believe he did. I, I, that's just my opinion. And in fact, the coaches don't misunderstand me. But if you're going to hire him, let him call the place. You know, like last year with Kennedy Pola, who was a teammate of mine. You hire him, he's a running back coach. You give him a, a coordinator label for a bigger salary. I get it. But then you don't trust him to call the place. Well, then, then why hire him as the offensive coordinator? Hire him as running back coach. Yet I love Kennedy, and I would have loved to see him have an opportunity just like I would anybody who's in that position. So to me, Jim Moore at UCLA, what does Jim do? He's got a defensive coordinator that calls the plays. And they are the better program in town right now. And he's got an offensive coordinator and one of the best in the business in Noel Mazzoni. He lets him call the plays. And Jim is enthusiastic. I've been out of the practice field with him. I spent three days with them, two and a half days. They invited me to training camp to observe their quarterbacks on the field. UCLA did. And I'm out there watching and having Jim overseeing what the quarterbacks doing, but watching Jim and how they handle it. Jim's on both sides. He's on the offense, on the defense, on the special teams involved. He's a head coach. And that's what you do. And that's what we haven't had there in a while. And if that's not the way the next guy in, I guarantee you will be a guy who allows his coordinators to coach his football team while he over while he oversees the other stuff. Great stuff on that show. Wow, I'm glad I asked that question. Um. <laughs> I'm passionate about it because it drives me crazy. Ego is what gets you there, but ego is also what gets you on the street. Yeah, I think- and, 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 and 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 that's a big problem. You want to go be? Hey, he's going to get his wish now. Somebody's going to hire him as a coordinator or a position coach. Then he's going to get to do all he wants with X's and O's. But he no longer gets to oversee one of the five best programs in the United States because ego gets in the way and, and, you know, and a few other things, and you know, lack of leadership, whether it's just him or others. But you can't do it. And, boy, what I love, I just, the, the, psychology, the psychology of being a head coach is more important than the X's and O's. That's why you hire those real good guys that have been studying it just like you did to get that job, and those guys want that job too, but allow them to coach. That's why they're getting paid. Do you think he goes that route? He goes to, to the NFL as an assistant coach or a coordinator, or do you think he gets like a head coaching job at a smaller college or something like that? Well, somebody, somebody may. You know, if you're the, a smaller school that says, you know, we want a guy who can recruit, because let's make no mistake, the guy can sell. He, he can sell the Raiders, he sold Tennessee, and he can sell USC. He knows how to sell. He, 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 may, he knows how to go into a meeting and sell himself. And so somebody may give him a chance. Sure, somebody, some of the smaller school, if you want to kick in the rear end and want a guy who's going to come in there with some attitude and some, some swagger and some arrogance, maybe. And maybe, you know what, doesn't mean his coaching career is over as a head coach. Good gracious. Belichick wasn't any good and they had to change his ways and didn't like it in Cleveland. Now he's, he's the best coach on the planet. 
Tom Coughlin was, you know, started out good, then they're doing it, and I hate him, can't do it, and he's got two Super Bowl rings. So, Coach, and I'm not comparing him to those guys, but you can make changes. So maybe a stop at a smaller place with less alumni pressure will be good for him. But can I see somebody hiring him as a wide receiver coach? Yeah. But if you're going to hire him as an offensive coordinator, you better make sure that he recognizes he's the offensive coordinator, not trying to throw a knife in your back and be the head coach. So, you know, once, once you've had a taste of it, some of those guys can't take a step back. Some of those guys can't. They're wide. Some of the guys just can't say I'm going to go be a coordinator because their ego is affected. He's young enough to where he's going to have to start over because he is. He's not going to get. He's not going to be the head coach at Wisconsin or one of those schools right now. But I understand why somebody would. I'd interview him because he may be able to change around a program that needs some spice and some new innovative offense because he does no X's and O's. And I do like Lane. I do. I feel like I've known him like he's a kid brother. But I'm also in the broadcast business and in the business of and and the football business and in the coaching and training quarterback business and in the in the breaking down the, the the proper and improper way that I think to do things and that's what my job is to do and that's what I get paid to do and so I'm just telling you I don't believe he was the man for the job and when every single guy that ever played in the program not not 17 guys but anybody that I've ever talked to that ever played in the program walk on to All-American was not comfortable with him as a head coach as a former player something's not right now, I'm not saying I was there. I'm talking about anybody that I ever was associated with that I've heard talk about that. It was never a comfortable situation. It was almost as if we brought in, it was like, gosh, it was, you, 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 you couldn't quite get comfortable with the situation. Would I see him on the street and buy him a beer and say, man, you can still go be a good coach? Darn right I would. But it just, it just the timing and the fit wasn't natural. Uh, well, looking forward now, Ed Orgeron, uh, who's been around the program for quite a while, is taking over. And, uh, you know, first order of business, and we just got an email from uh, USC Sports Information Department about this, you know, earlier this afternoon, that practices will now be open to the media. Instead of waiting outside, we can actually go in and watch. We're actually allowed to report what we see on injuries. They still would like us to not report on formations and strategy, which completely makes sense. We could take, you know, B-roll video in the beginning of practice like we used to be able to do. We can take photos during practice. So it's, it's kind of like the way – it's not exactly the way it was under Pete Carroll because of the sanctions that fans can't be on the sideline watching practice anymore. And we're restricted to one side of the field, which, which is fine. But it seems to go – it's gone back to the way it was a couple of years ago. you think that's a good move by Ed Orgeron, the first thing he's doing here as the head coach? Yeah, Ed Orgeron seems to be a guy who wanted to be USC guy from the time he came out of the womb. He gets it. <laughs> John Robinson did the same thing. I, I, you know what? No offense, but no beat writer. I mean, I say they don't know football, but I'm not worried about a beat writer that comes and watch practice or some Channel 10 or reporting that saw a play during practice. Matter of fact, if I was a coach, we, you'd run a dog on play in the first 10 minutes of practice, but you're not going to run just so it gets on film so they may see it and want to do it and they prepare for it on their defense, and you don't run the play the whole season. I mean, you can toy with that any way you want. Yeah, the gates should be open. Yes, you should be able to come in there and report and watch practice. Yes, the report should be better. I'm not worried about, oh, my gosh, channel CBS just saw our reverse play. Like I said, you want to put the okey-doke on them? Run a few plays during practice, early in practice, so you're playing Washington, and all of a sudden they get a clip of the newscast. Ooh, did you see this in the background? Look what they ran. And then you don't run it at all. Now they're screwed up. So you can manipulate that any way you want as a coach. But, yes, the media should be allowed in. Yes, the beat writers should be allowed in. They're doing a job. They're busting their butt. Those beat writers, as you well know, right on this, you guys on this doing it every day and running your websites and blogs and working for the paper. Yeah, you got to do it every day. And you know what? If you don't let them in, guess what? Then they write an opinion on something they don't know about, and before you know it, everybody hates everybody. So let them in so they can actually see what goes on and 
you can actually talk to them and actually answer their question, and they can get a feel for what the program's about. John Robinson did it. I believe John McKay did it. Turned out okay for those dudes. So I don't know why it's that, oh, my gosh, we got everything secretive. Bull. And when everything's secretive, it's, it, you know, then everybody's uptight. Let them come out and watch cracks and stand there and then turn their camera off and be honorable. And you can't film practice after the first 10 or 50, whatever it is. Then, then we're going, everything's fine. Okay, and then there's no, well, what about this? I didn't see this and this. Well, you're out there watching practice. You get a good idea. And you know what? Injuries are injuries. Guy gets hurt. You report an injury. Okay. I'm just, I'm just a little different with that. I like my privacy, and I like my team's privacy, and I like my game plans. But you're not going to learn anything if I'm playing Alabama. In the first 15 minutes of practice, Alabama's not going to know what I'm about to do to Alabama. That I promise you. So I'm all about a better rapport with the media and the fans and the rest of it. It just – when you alienate everybody, it becomes a very, very tense and uptight situation. I love what Ed's doing, and I'm going to go even farther than this. I don't care who the next head coach is. Ed Orgeron belongs on the staff in a capacity, regardless who it is. Reminds me of Dante Skarnecki, the defensive court coach, and, or should I say offensive line coach and assistant, been an offensive assistant in New England forever. He's been there through, I think, seven head coaches. They keep coming, and he stays. Wow. So that's how much respect they have. We need Ed to recruit. We need Ed to coach. His energy. I don't give a hoot if, if Bear Bryant wakes back up out of the dead and comes back. Ed Orgeron belongs to that staff. He's what USC football is about, and you want him on your staff because I think players love him and respect him. He's doing it the right way. I hope Ed has a lifetime job at USC, whether he becomes a head coach after this year or not. Wow, great stuff. Now, one last thing before we let you go, Sean. Just what do you think? There's eight games left on the schedule. Uh, three and two start, zero oh and two in the Pac-12. I know fans are excited. Just it's, it's more they're just excited because Lane Kiffin's gone. He wasn't the most popular guy, especially over the last few weeks and stuff. But what do you expect from this Trojan team going in? There's there's still some big games. You got to play Stanford and UCLA, Notre Dame, the rivalry games. What do you expect from this Trojan team going forward? Far more energy and less uptight. I've never seen an uptight football team play well over the course of the season or sustain it for four quarters each each week. You know what? It doesn't. When I say less stress and relaxed, I don't mean casual. Casual, casual is not good. And I tell quarterbacks, I said, I want you to play relaxed, but don't play casual. Casual means you're not. You don't have a sense of urgency. I believe they're playing with a sense of urgency because if I'm at Oregon and I stand and I say, listen, don't be misled by the fact because the coach is going that you're a sacred cow. Because I'll start a freshman over your ass if you're not playing, and you're senior or not. So you're going to give me energy. Because all this film that we're going to put on the next eight weeks, the next head coach, whether it's me or somebody else, is going to watch it to determine who goes into spring practice as my guy. Because if I'm the head coach coming in there in January, the first thing I look at is what happened before Kiffin and what happened after. And I get Drew names off the bat, and I don't even know. I don't care if you're Marquis Lee, and I don't care if you're the starting quarterback that's there for 5,000 yards. I'm evaluating you during those times, the tough times. What were you like as a Trojan when it did that? Did you quit on me? Oh, it's just an interim coach. I can jump off sides and kind of not practice hard. That's what I'm watching. I'll watch practice film to find a head coach, to find out exactly who's, who's running on me and who's going to suck this up and cut it out and play like you're supposed to play when, it, when everybody else around the country doesn't really care about you. So I expect that when I say loose enough, I expect him to play a lot freer. I expect him to say, cut it loose. Let's go play football. Let's go have some fun. And when you're having fun, good things happen. Now, do I expect him to, to, to win it? The Pac-12, no. Do I expect that they're going to win a game that they weren't supposed to win? I absolutely do. So I expect more, more uh, an atmosphere that says, ah, these guys like playing football instead of, 
uptight when you, you know, when they come to the sidelines and if you make a mistake, you're looking over your shoulder. Nobody needs that. And so I expect I expect quantum leaps in the personality and the way they play and having a little fun. I'd love to see it. Now, does that translate to wins? We'll see. But like I said, for me, it wasn't it wasn't losing. It was more important than how they were losing. But I would expect that they're going to lose with a lot more physicality or win with a lot more physicality and lose or win with a lot more energy. It's amazing what energy will do to you and what the threat of losing your job or losing out to a freshman as a senior can do to you. I was, if I was a player, I would treat it like I'm on an interim status. And I would hope Ed Orgeron sends that message to them. I want you to play relaxed, but man alive, take our butt out into the street and let's go play some good football. But don't you for one second think because the coach that recruited you is gone and the head coach that we don't have to show up and play football because you will be evaluated and I could care less about your son, your, your, your draft status. I don't care. You're not a sacred cow. Don't care what happens to you in April if you quit on me. I care about what's best for the program the next eight weeks or whatever it is, and I think Ed Orgeron will make sure that those guys know that, and I fully expect a better response than we've had the first month of the season. He is Sean Salisbury. You can hear him on Yahoo Sports Radio and also follow him on Twitter at Sean Unfiltered. Sean, thanks again for coming on the show. Ryan, what a pleasure. Thank you. Keep up the great work, and uh, hopefully this Trojans can change it around, my man. Yes, we'll see. All right, looking forward next Thursday night against Arizona. We'll try to talk to Sean again real soon down the, down the road here on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in.